Tonight I want to share my favorite book with you. A Tree Grows in Brooklyn. Serene was a word you could put in Brooklyn, New York, especially in the summer of 1912. Somber as a word was better. But it did not apply to Williamsburg, Brooklyn. Prairie was lovely, and Shenandoah had a beautiful sound. But you can feed these words into Brooklyn. Serene was the only word for it, especially on a Saturday afternoon in summer. Late in the afternoon, the sun slanted down into the mossy yard, blowing to Francie Nolan's house, and warmed the worn wooden fence. Looking at the shafted sun, Francie had that same fine feeling that came when she recalled the poem they recited in school. This is the forest primeval, the murmuring pines and hemlocks, bearded with moss, and in garments green, indistinct in the twilight, stand like trolls of out. The one tree in Francis' yard was neither a pine nor a hemlock. It had pointed leaves which grew along green switches which radiated from the bow and made a tree which looked like a lot of open green umbrellas. Some people called it the tree of heaven. No matter where its seed fell, it made a tree which struggled to reach the sky. It grew in broadened up lots and out of the neglected rubbish heaps, and it was only tree that grows out of cement. It growed lushly, but only in the tenements walk on a Sunday afternoon and came to a nice neighborhood, very refined. You saw a small one of these trees through the iron gate leading to somebody's yard, and you knew that soon the section of Brooklyn would get to be a tenement district. The tree knew. Afterwards, poor foreigners sipped in, and the quiet old brownstone houses were hacked up into flats. Feather beds were pushed out on the window, sails to air, and the tree of heaven flourished. That was the kind of tree it was. It liked poor people.
was the kind of tree in Francis' yard. Its umbrellas curled over, around, and under a third floor fire escape. An eleven-year-old girl sitting on this fire escape could imagine that she was living in a tree. That's what Francis imagined. Saturday afternoon in summer. Oh, what a wonderful day was Saturday in Brooklyn. Oh, how wonderful anywhere. People were paid on Saturdays, and it was a holiday without the rigidness of the Sunday. People had money to go out and buy things. They ate well for once, got drunk, had dates, made love, and stayed up until all hours, singing, playing music, fighting, and dancing, because the morrow was their own free day. They could sleep late. Mass anyhow. On Sunday, most people crouched into their eleven o'clock mass. Well, some people, a few went to early six o'clock mass. They were given credit for this, but they deserved none for they were the ones who had stayed out so late. That it was morning when they got home, so they went to this early mass, got it over with, and went home, and slept all day with a free conscience. For Francie, Saturday started with a trip to the junkie. She and her brother Neely. Like any Brooklyn kids, collected rags, paper, metal, rubber, and other junk, and hoarded in a locked cell bins and in boxes hidden under the bed all week. Frenzy walked home slowly from school. With her eyes in the gutter, looking for the tinfoil from cigarette packages or chewing gum wrappers, this was melted in the lid of a jar. The junkie wouldn't take an unmelted bowl of foil because too many kids put iron washers in the middle to make it weigh heavier. Sometimes, Neely found a seltzer bottle. Frenzy helped him break the top off and melt down for lead. The junkie wouldn't buy a complete top because he'd get into trouble with the soda water people. A seltzer bottle top was fine. Melted, it was worse than nickel. Francie and Nellie went down into the cell each evening 
and emptied the dumbwaiter's shelves of the day's accumulated trash. They owned this privilege because Francis' mother was the janitress. They looted the shelves of the paper, rags, and deposit bottles. Paper wasn't worth much. They got only a penny for ten pounds. Rags brought two cents a pound, and iron four. Copper was good, ten cents a pound. Sometimes, Francie came across a bonanza, the bottom of a discarded wash boiler. She got it off with a can opener, folded it, pounded it, folded it, and pounded it again. Soon after nine o'clock of a Saturday morning, kids began spraying out of all the side streets onto my hat and hat. She saw Carney 
with his rusty hair, rusty mustache, and rusty eyes, presiding at the scale. Carney liked girls better than boys. He would give a girl an extra penny if she did not shrink when he pinched pinched her cheek. Because of the possibility of this bonus, Neely stepped aside and let Francie drag the bag into the stable. Carney jumped forward, dumped the content of the bag on the floor, and took a preliminary pinch out of her cheek. While he piled the stuff onto the scale, Francie blinked. Adjusting her eyes to the darkness, and was aware of the mossy hair and odor of the wetted rags. Carney slewed his eyes at the dial and spoke to her. His offer. Francie knew that no dickering was permitted. She nodded yes, and Carney flipped the junk off and made her way. While he piled the paper in a corner, threw the rags in another, and sorted out the metals. Only then did he reach down in his pockets, hold up an old leather punch, tied with a wax string, and count out old green pennies that looked like junk too. As she whispered thank you, Carney fixed a rusty junked lock on her and pinched her cheek hard. She stood her ground. He smiled and added an extra penny. Then his manner changed and became loud and brisk. To the next one in line, a boy. Get the lad out. He timed the laugh. And I don't mean junk. The children laughed dutifully. The laughter sounded like the bleeding of lost little lamb. But Granny seemed dissatisfied. Francie went outside to. He gave me sixteen cents and a pinching penny. That's your penny, he said, according to an old agreement. She put the penny in her dress pocket and turned the rest of the money over to him. Neely was ten, a year younger than Francie, but he was the boy. He handled the money. He divided the pennies carefully. Eight cents for the bank. That was the rule. Half of any money they got from anywhere went into the tin can bank that was nailed to the floor in the darkest corner of the closet. Francie 
four cents for you and four cents for me. Francie nodded the bank money in her handkerchief. She looked at her own five pennies, realizing happily that they could be changed into a whole nickel. Neely rolled up the burlap bag, tucked it under his arm, and pushed his way in cheap trolley with Francis flying behind him. Cheap Charlie was the penny candy store next to Carney's, which catered to the junk trade. At the end of the Saturday, its cash box was filled with greenish pennies. By an unwritten law, it was a boy's store. So Francie did not go all the way in. She stood by the doorway. Boys, from eight to fourteen years of age, looked alike in staggering gang knickerboxers and broken picked caps. They stood around, hands in pockets and thin shoulders, hunched forward tensely. They would grow up looking like that, standing the same way in other hangouts. The only difference would be the cigarettes, seemingly permanently fastened between their lips, rising and falling in accent as they spoke. Now the boy. Chond about nervously. Their thin faces turned from Charlie to each other, and back to Charlie again. Francie noticed that some already had their summer haircuts. Hair cropped so short that there were nicks in the scalp where the clips had bitten too deeply. These fortunates had their caps. Crammed into their pockets, or pushed back on the head. The unshorn ones, whose hair curled gently and stupidishly at the nape of their neck, were ashamed and worn their caps pulled so far down over their ears that there was something girlish about them. In spite of their jerky profanity, Chip Charlie was not cheap, and his name wasn't Charlie. He had taken the name and said so on the store opening, and the frenzy believed it. Charlie gave you a peck for your penny. A board was fifty numbered hooks. And a prize hanging from each hook, hanging behind the counter. There were a few fine prizes: roller coasters, a catcher's mitt, 
Thanks for listening. We'll continue.